Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to Unnatural. <laughs> yeah, the final Unnatural of 2022. Unless you go back and you listen to some other ones before 2023, but we only the have a few days left The final new episode here. of 2022. Yeah. yeah, it's been a great year. It has. Lots of ups, lots of downs, mm-hmm. lots of in the middles. All over the board, I'd say. And lots more planned for 2023. I don't want to give too much away, but we have talked about doing Unnatural on the Road. And yes. I know I know you know where that's going to be. Our listeners don't, but that's going to be a fun one. Whenever we do it. And we will. It, we will. It's, we're going to have to wait for it to get a little bit warmer out, though. Yeah. Which in the Midwest, let's face it, takes forever. Yeah. So we're looking probably like June. Yeah. July. Sometime. Yeah. Sometime towards. We have summer. We have exactly 90 days to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> right. In the meantime, though, let's get to today's episode, Emily. We've got a fan submission Ooh. for this one. Well, really, it's a friend, but she's also a fan. We love that. So my friend, Danielle, she works at an office and this sweet old lady has come in and visited her for years now, right? Mm-hmm. And they've developed quite a bond with each other. And as they got to know each other, they both realized that they love true crime cases. We love that. Which is awesome. Yeah. Her quote to me was, I wish she was my grandma. <laughs> yeah. Are they just like hanging out, talking about true crime, eating meat and cheese of. off of a fancy charcuterie board? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. We love it. And the sweetest thing about it is... So Danielle prints out these cases for this little old lady and she sticks them in a manila envelope for her to read at her leisure. And she actually sent me a picture of some of the cases that she was sending her. Mm -hmm. And the one on top, I had never heard of before. And it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole, which leads to this very moment here. Today's case takes us back to the 1990s in Washington State. 19-year-old Jennifer Brinkman was a fun-loving, social teenager with a vibrant personality. She had recently graduated high school, but she was still living with her father. Sadly, Jennifer was brutally murdered with an axe while her father was on vacation. Oh, no. And the cases remained cold for the past 24 years. That is, until last month. What? This is the story of the murder of Jennifer Brinkman. Oh, and Emily, stay tuned after this episode. We are going to discuss a few updates, including movies that are coming out. One of them based on, remember Sherry Papini? Yes. She's getting a movie. Really? Yeah. Which seems pretty soon pretty quick but yeah there's a movie that's coming out very soon about her and also a movie loosely based on kenny veach which kenny was the guy who went missing in the desert years ago we'll talk about both of those coming up
Okay, Emily, so it's March 1998. I was a freshman in high school at that time. Thought I knew everything, mm-hmm. had no real problems, but thought I did. Mm-hmm. Life was pretty grand. In fact, I did a tiny little deep dive on the time. I always like to do that with certain cases. And you ready for the two biggest songs of March 1998? Yes. Was it Britney Spears? No, she was around that time. I don't know if she had hit yet. Yeah. Uh, Will Will Smith getting jiggy with it. Yep. Na 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 na. Um, and also from the Titanic soundtrack. Oh. My, my heart, heart will, will go, go on. on. Yep. Once more, you've opened, opened the door. Oh, God. I probably heard that song like 10,000 times. <laughs> oh, boy. But Jennifer, she grew up in Marysville, Washington which is just north of Seattle. So that was kind of in the grunge alternative rock scene as well. So that was all the rage at the time. It's the late 1990s and it's the early days of the internet. And we've talked about this in a number of episodes, it feels like, early internet dating. It was kind of the wild, wild west. And like way before people were even sliding into your AIM DMs, Mm-hmm. She was on some of these early message boards and Jennifer herself wasn't afraid of trying it out. She dabbled in these online chats as well as phone chat dating, which was still a thing at that time. Mm. Reports said that Jennifer spent a lot of time walking around the Marysville area, particularly from her house to State Avenue, and spent a lot of time going to the local library as well. Police said she was, quote, extremely friendly and would easily strike up a conversation with strangers. And keep in mind, although she was of age, 19 years old, investigators would later go on to say after her death that she did have the mental capacity of a 14-year-old. So it is said that Jennifer, like many teenage girls of that time period, was on the phone all the time. I'm sure you could relate when you were that age. Yeah. So not much has really changed in that regard, if you think about it, because except now, the teenage son or daughter would never actually be talking on the phone. Texting. You're lucky they even answer it if you try and call them. Yeah. As I mentioned, Jennifer lived with her father. It was in a town just north of Seattle, just off I-5 in Marysville. It's one of those places that's not too big, but not a teeny small town either. Kind of like the town I grew up in. Right. And it sounds like her dad and mom had split up a while before. And Jennifer had a lot of time to herself. Now, keep in mind, she was 19 years old. But still being alone in a big house at that age isn't really always the best combination. Right. It's believed that Jennifer had been kind of talking back and forth with at least one of the men that she had met on one of these phone chat lines a while back. And apparently they had even met up at least once before when Jennifer either invited this guy over to her place or he showed up unannounced. I'm unsure of that. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, pretty sketchy. And this was also while her father and his girlfriend were out of town. Now, Jennifer's dad made sure that she had everything that she needed before him and his girlfriend left on their trip to California. He went shopping, bought her food, drinks, and even cigarettes to last until he and his girlfriend got back home to their Washington house about eight days later. Now, Emily, not a lot is exactly known about what took place with Jennifer and this man while she was home alone, except for the fact that when police arrived, they found an axe with Jennifer's blood all over it. I was really shocked at how little information has come out on this case in the last 24 years. It's really been a cold case, but I was able to find out some details on the murder itself. It took place in Jennifer's bedroom, and police would later say that this axe was used to strike her repeatedly in the neck. Oh my God. And that was the wound, obviously, that caused her to lose her life. Yeah. Was he, like, trying to decapitate her? I don't know. She wasn't decapitated. Jennifer had suffered axe wounds to her neck, and it was also said her body. Evidence collected at the crime scene suggested that there was a struggle before Jennifer was killed. Also important to know, there was no evidence of forced entry at the scene of the crime. Police also said the evidence suggested that Jennifer had likely been dead, for several days prior to the discovery of her body. Oh, my God. And how old was she again? She was 19. Yeah. Just a baby. I know. And what I found surprising was the fact that the murder weapon was left at the crime scene. Really? Yeah. Well, I suppose how else would they know it's an axe? Yeah, exactly. Well, they could probably determine what type of weapon killed her, I'm guessing, just Mm -hmm. based on... You know the, sap, the wound and the wound itself, but still, but it was left right there, and that does not happen that often in no. these cases. And when it does, usually it's almost a slam dunk to retrieve the enough information, whether it's DNA or other details, like yeah. where it was purchased, fingerprints, that sort of thing, to find out who the assailant was. But unfortunately, that was not the case in this murder. It was actually her father who first found her. So as I mentioned, he had been on vacation with his then girlfriend in California. In fact, it was a vacation that Jennifer herself was planning on going on. Oh, I know. But for whatever reason, and I couldn't figure out why she pulled out at the last minute, I can't really imagine the amount of guilt her dad felt in the years afterward. Especially since, you know, he was the one who found her. Yeah. To imagine, like, 
coming home from a vacation, you're probably really excited to see your daughter, tell her all about mm-hmm. what happened. And like, that's what you have to come home and find. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And no. it's not like he did anything wrong, but just as a parent, yeah. you wish maybe you would have been there. Well, if she was talking to this guy kind of on the phone thing, do you think maybe she opted to stay home like so she could meet up with him? Could have been. That's what some people have theorized, that maybe that's why she didn't go on vacation. And she might not have let her dad know all the details about that. Because when you're that age, do you really tell your dad or mom that kind of stuff? Yeah. No. Not usually. Unfortunately. When investigators first recovered the murder weapon, that bloody axe that was left at the scene, obviously they took the DNA from it. Yeah. And it was labeled individual A. And slowly after this case had seemingly gone cold, like forever later, well, yeah. DNA finally, the, te- the DNA technology had finally begun to improve it's come a long way in the last 25 years yeah for sure so much so that individual a now had a name and that name was jeffrey paul primo a 52 year old man who still lived in the area what yeah sounds like he never really left one quote i want to pass your way that comes from Marysville detective Wade Rediger. He said, DNA technology did not exist that was capable of identifying and profiling that DNA sample to what we could use in an evidentiary manner. Meaning that they just weren't capable of identifying Primo at the time of the murder. Yeah. But over two decades later, when this case was kind of reinvigorated with some new investigators, the DNA samples were sent to Parabon Nano Labs. This was in Virginia. And the private lab uploaded a genetic profile to an ancestry website, GED Match. And a genealogist actually built a family tree for the suspect. Pretty remarkable here. That research pointed the detectives to Jeffrey Paul Primo. It was just mid-last month, November 16th, detectives tried to call multiple numbers associated with Primo and no answer, not surprising. But a few days later, they did track him down in the nearby town of Redmond. Primo had already been on the Marysville Police Department's radar for years the only, the one tiny slice of evidence that they found at the scene other than the axe was a letter that Primo had written to Jennifer. So I was, in fact, able to read a portion, I believe, of the letter that was found at the scene from the alleged assailant. It says, and I quote, Dear Jen, I hope your week has gone good. Are you and your parents getting along better? Mm -hmm. Please try to get along with your mother so we can at least see each other on a regular basis. I miss you so much. I have your address. I should just drive over and spend the day with you. How does that sound? So I guess you could say in a sense that letter was Jeffrey Paul Primo's kryptonite. That put him as suspect number one. 
mm-hmm. until they found his DNA on the axe all these years later, he was still walking around as a free man. As you talked about in your last episode, DNA can only take you so far sometimes. Right. And that had to be super frustrating for all the law enforcement involved. Yeah. So like they, so like even before, so like even before the DNA matched, so hold on, maybe I'm just confusing myself, but like before they had the DNA, they had the letter. Right. That had his name on it. Right. Okay. So he was a suspect. And they had phone calls and they knew that the two had been corresponding. But, but even that wasn't enough to. Well, it was just circumstantial, as yeah, you know. I guess. It was. It wasn't enough to nail him. Yeah. So all these years, they were pretty damn sure that he was the guy, and here he is walking around freely in the community for over two decades. Yeah. But that's why it's innocent until proven guilty, right? Right. Yeah. Now, sadly, Jennifer's father passed away back in 2013. So he never received justice for his daughter's murder in his lifetime. Her mother is still alive, though. And when she was told of Jeffrey Paul Primo's arrest, she was, quote, extremely emotional. Yeah. And almost overwhelmed with finally getting some answers in this decades long case. Yeah. As any mother would be. Right. I can't imagine losing a child like that in the first place, but then just to also go years with no answers, I, I can't. Like, I cannot imagine what that would be like. How many cases have we seen this in? And it really almost destroys these families. Yeah. So many of the families, either the parents end up getting divorced or they have their own problems with the law down the road. Right. Or they have mental health issues because of it. It it really completely changes the fabric of every family. Right. But at least now they're starting to get some answers. Now, remember, we're still in the infancy of this. He was just arrested in November. He's currently being held on a $250,000 bond at the Snohomish County Jail in Washington State. And... Obviously, we will keep you posted on any and all court proceedings that will surely be coming probably in 2023, I would say, but who knows. And Emily, Mm -hmm. speaking of keeping people posted on past cases, let's say we get a palate cleanse in here, shall we? We shall. Now it's time for the unnatural palate cleanse. Okay, I'm going to ask you something and I want you to be honest. What is a palate? Where Emily and Andy bring you their own unique and offbeat tales of intrigue from around the world today. There is a movie coming out in January. Well, actually, I should give a brief update on Sherry Papini or at least a a recap of her case. As you know, she was the woman who kidnapped herself and blamed it on two Mexican women. And really what she was doing was hooking up with her ex-boyfriend for a few weeks and then came back. And all hell broke loose after that. 
yeah. Wild. Authorities figured out that she was lying. She ended up admitting it, going to jail for a while. As she should. And now there's a Lifetime movie coming out in January. Yeah. God. Okay, so here is the Lifetime movie description. Jamie King stars as Sherry Papini in the film about the nationwide shocking story of a young mother of two who disappears while jogging near her home, leading to national headlines as concerned citizens search for her whereabouts. When she reappeared three weeks later on Thanksgiving Day, Sherry claimed she was abducted by two Hispanic women who chained and repeatedly abused her. While Sherry's return was celebrated, the state never stopped searching for her kidnappers. Four years later, Sherry's world came crashing down as evidence revealed her kidnapping was all a hoax perpetrated by Sherry herself to spend time with her ex-boyfriend. Groundbreaking. Such a terrible, terrible plan. So it goes on to say Sherry was arrested and ultimately sentenced to 18 months in prison for lying to federal agents, creating hysteria in the community and wasting police time and funding with her nearly successful elaborate scheme. God, that's so it's so weird. It's so weird. Well, like, imagine, though, imagine how much worse that could have been. Like, what what if she named people? Right. You know, well, and let's face it, we've seen this many times before, too, when it's a pretty blonde white girl, they're going to get a whole lot of more attention than anybody else. And that is kind of what happened right. in this case. But it came back to bite her in the ass. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm just I just think like how awful it would be if she you know, just like picked out two random Hispanic women and like named them yeah. and was like, it was them. And then like, what if they yeah. ended up being arrested and they had spent mm-hmm. years in jail? You know? Also, she could go hook up with her ex. Yeah. I wonder if her husband finally divorced her. I don't know. I know he was sticking it out for a while there. Yeah, I hope so. Right? I couldn't be me. Googling him right now. Oh, it looked like he, yeah, he did file for divorce back in April. Good for him. Yeah, as he should. <laughs> so, does that sound like a movie you're going to watch? Or what do you think? I, I'm not really into Lifetime movies. I don't know about you. No. I mean, I like, I, I love a good Lifetime movie. I love the <laughs> drama. I love the over the top. But like this bitch. Probably not. Now, this movie, I think I probably will at least try to see. It's called Horror in the High Desert. It's a pseudo-documentary style film about an outdoor enthusiast and survivalist. And this guy's disappearance, it's about his mysterious disappearance in the Nevada High Desert. And many people are linking this to the disappearance of Kenny Veach, mm-hmm. who, if you remember, went looking for this mysterious M cave mm-hmm. and he got famous on YouTube and was never seen again. There's a lot of theories about 
what happened to him. Some people actually think he might have committed suicide. Even his um, his own girlfriend said that. Yeah. This guy who's making the movie did admit that there's strikingly similar circumstances around this movie to Kenny Veach's case, but he didn't directly say that it's about Kenny Veach. I don't think he legally can. Oh, sure. But it does sound like it, it is a movie based on his life and his disappearance as well. So it'll be interesting to see um, what direction he takes with the disappearance, whether or not he thinks it's going to be something, you know, he's going to take it in a super supernatural direction or maybe what uh, many have theorized that he killed himself or died of just in the elements out there. Right. Yeah, the desert is a tough place. It is a tough place. And that was always one of those cases that just stood out to me because the guy, you know, did not seem like the type that would off himself like that. But then again, suicide is a crazy thing. Yeah. We, we just saw it earlier this week. With a celebrity yeah, with who Twitch. Oh. nobody ever would have thought that was coming. Yeah. And even you know? like um, I've seen like his TikTok videos every once in a while on my For You page. And I, I ended up like after I after I heard the news, like I went to his page and just like days, days before he posted just like this cute dancey video and like everything seems wow. so fine. So, yeah, like you truly you never know. You don't. Yeah. That's why it's always important to reach out to the ones you love if you can. So this movie is called Horror in the High Desert, as I mentioned, and it is streaming right now on multiple platforms. Ah. We might have to do one of those Amazon watch parties. That's what I was just going to say. It sounds like a watch party. Yes. I still got to watch the Casey Anthony thing. I'm going to do that this weekend. Do you want to give a quick recap on that? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Casey Anthony? Yeah. Well. Because I have a few questions going into it. Well, I did. I did watch it. Okay. And Um, what do you think? Because there's a lot of people out there that are curious about it, but also are like, okay, should I really rehash this all over again? Well, I mean, I know I I still think she did it. She even did after s- watching this. Yeah, because the documentary, I mean, even though even though Casey herself didn't have any sort of creative control, like every every documentary you watch is biased in one way. And the documentary really seemed to Take it to the to the point where not that Casey didn't do it, but really kind of focusing on what may have actually happened, according to Casey, which is her dad did it. And that's what I heard. Yeah. And and um, did that sway you at all or did it does it seem kind of compelling or maybe not so much? So. As you know, like the Casey, the Kaylee Anthony, Casey Anthony thing is really what kind of got me into true crime. Yeah. And I have mixed 
feelings. Like I remember when her trial was happening and I was 100% convinced that she did it. I was right alongside the media that she was just this horrible monster who killed her baby, went off partying for a month and then finally reported her missing. You know? Um, I was on that same wavelength. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, I remember when she was acquitted and I was like, this is bullshit. And I, in my mind, was the reason why she wasn't found guilty was because they didn't have enough evidence to get her on first degree murder, which is what she was charged with. I think they couldn't prove they didn't have enough evidence to say she did it or that Beyond it was like a premeditated. Doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they maybe could have got her on some on like some lesser charges. Yeah. But so and I've kind of I've listened to tons of podcasts about her. Yeah. And there have been other documentaries and Dateline specials on it over the years. Yeah. And some of them, I mean, I think by and large, people believe that Casey was involved somehow, whether she was the one that actually killed Kaylee or was it negligence? Yeah. Was it an accident? I think, I think it definitely could have been an accident. She was just being negligent and then they all covered it up. Yeah. But um, I did listen to this one podcast. I forget what the podcast was called, but they did a really good job of covering everything. And I think they remained pretty unbiased. Like they were just saying this is what was happening. And they brought up a really good point in this podcast, which is also brought up in the documentary, which is kind of what where I've been on the fence this whole time is that this this was like a death penalty case, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if she was found guilty, they were going to seek the death penalty. And then you have her dad over here who was one of the key witnesses for the prosecution. Like why? Okay. As a parent, even if my child turned out to be a murderer, I don't think I could sit on the stand and testify against them knowing that they would like to be killed. Yeah. You know? Right. And Casey talked about some abuse that she had allegedly suffered as a child, like sexual abuse by her dad, her brother. And I know that was a big area of contention. I don't know for sure if I believe that. I wouldn't be surprised because it it happens all the time. time. Unfortunately, it happens all the time. And Mm -hmm. victims don't speak out. And if they do, a lot of times it's years and years later. I think for her, it just so happened to be she started talking about it around the time she was suspected of murder. Yeah. So that's why people didn't necessarily believe it. Yeah. And she is uh, admits that she lied about a lot of shit. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and a lot of people were turned off by some of the partying she was doing at the time. And it wasn't a good look for her. That's for sure. Well, and she had, you know, explanations for that. I think one of her, like, friends at the time even said that, like, you know, they tried to make it seem like she was going out every single night. And that really wasn't the case. Like, she yeah. went out, you know, a couple times, but it just so happened that, like, there was 
photo evidence. Oh, they were know? all over that at the time. Yeah. This was at the height of like Nancy Grace and HLN. Yeah. And they were covering it every single night. Yeah. And, you know, like it, it, it was like the court of public opinion. Yeah. You know, so I. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I, it didn't sway me to think she's innocent by any means. Right. I definitely do not think that. But I think I think she was involved. I think her family was involved. Yeah. In a cover up, whether it was an accident or like her dad killed her or she killed her. I don't know, but it was it 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 was interesting, and like you see things from a different perspective. Like, granted, it's coming from Casey herself, but like she does say, like right up front, like, yeah, I did a lot of fucked up shit. I lied a lot, but one thing, you know, but does like, she the- seem put together now? Like, I mean, what's her life like these days? Um, or does she well, really go into that? A little bit. I mean, she she works for her defense attorney. Oh, wow. And Hmm. that, like, her legal team kind of became, like, her Her family. family, And they believe she didn't do it. Yeah. So. How many episodes is this? Is how big of a. Three. Okay. That's not It's like three one-hour episodes. Okay. I could easily binge that this weekend. Well, I know what I'll be doing before New Year's. Yeah. It's a so great watch it way. And then we can discuss. That's a great way to ring in 2023. Yeah. With, <laughs> with some murder. With with the Casey Anthony story. <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, are you familiar like with Amanda Knox? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, and I'm still not even 100% I, I never thought she did it. See, I, never I don't know. She did it. Yeah, I thought that was. I think she could have. I think that was the Italian media just fucking going into a frenzy. Yeah, but I mean, that's exactly what happened with Casey Anthony. Too, it's a similar is, case. I think there's yeah. more evidence against Casey than there is Amanda Knox. But mm-hmm. that, but that is an interesting. But contrast. I think it just comes. It's it's that like court of public opinion thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the media will take something guilty and until just proved run innocent with it. Yeah. 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 Sounds like it's worth a watch though. I think so. I mean, a lot of people might disagree, and I think a lot of people disagree because they're like, "Ah, she's getting paid." Like, well, Right. She's been getting paid. Yeah. For shit, like rights to Kaylee's photos. She's gotten well, paid a lot. She's, and, she filed bankruptcy. Yeah. If you look, if you look into her, she filed for bankruptcy because she couldn't afford her lawyer. And was was it that you told me because I told you I was initially hesitant to watch it because I had heard that she had gotten paid for it, but you also said, "Yeah, but she did she doesn't have any creative control over this." Yeah. Right. And I so, don't I think she just got paid like a lump sum. I think I don't think she's getting paid based on streams, right. you know. So like whether you whether you watch it or not, she's, she's already got her she, money. She got paid. Yeah, you know. Well, we have a bunch of theories to go over now on our social media after this. Do you yeah, think Casey Anthony did it? Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Have you seen the Peacock documentary? What do you think about these other movies that are coming out about Kenny Veach, Sherry Papini? And what do you think about this Jennifer Brinkman case? Hopefully this guy, you know, gets the justice he deserves, it looks like. You can talk about that on our socials. Yeah, do that. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Unnatural Podcast. Facebook, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. You can send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. Also consider joining our Patreon family. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. As always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, share us with your friends. And we will talk to you next year. Yeah. 2023, baby. Here it comes. Mm hmm. And it's going to be a good year. Because it's going to be the new year. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of you are probably going to be going out, turning up, getting lit, having your New Year's kiss. Do that. Have fun. But make good choices. And certainly don't get got. Bye. I'll be in bed before 10 o'clock. <laughs> So I was genuinely shocked when I started looking into this, how little information has come out on this case in the past 24 years. (coughs) Definitely. (coughs) Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Our audience is used to those sneezes by now. It's almost comforting. Maybe like you start to sneeze when you really get invested in a case. Oh boy. Do you want to know another funny story about my mom? What? Oh God. Does it have to do with Titanic? Yeah. Oh God. Let's hear it. So, um, my little two-year-old has this toy. It's like, it's kind of like a toy phone looking thing. Right. But you push one of the buttons and like, it sings different songs. Like, um, musical like it there's no words it's just the music right and there's this one on there and my mom was insistent that oh this is the song from titanic this is the song from titanic yeah and we're like no mom no it's not (laughs) and i played the celine dion song and she's like yeah it sounds exactly the same no it was some (laughs) like mozart song so now every time that he plays with that toy and that song comes on, I'll be yeah. like, it's the song from Titanic. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love your mom. Yeah. <laughs> She's a goofy, goofy lady. If I ever meet her, I'm going to be hard pressed not to talk about the bracelet or the Titanic song. Yeah. Just warning you now. <laughs>